Hello and welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me as always is my co-host, friend, and all-around sweetie pie, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hello, Stephen. How we doing tonight, man? I'm doing all right. I, uh, you know, I'm good. Got my Liquid Death Mango Chainsaw. Oh, okay. To drink along with the recording tonight. So I mean, it, and I cannot think of a beverage more apropos for the movie that we're talking about tonight, he said incredibly facetiously. Um, maybe a couple weeks ago when we released our uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation and, uh, Patreon episode, but uh, maybe not tonight. Ah, <laughs> uh, look, man, it's just some mango flavored seltzer water it's totally fine it just how does it okay but how does it stack up to like lacroix or lacroix or however you pronounce it uh significantly better i mean here's the thing i like just the regular regular liquid death i think it's really fantastic um i've i've enjoyed it in many a, a rest stop and uh department store um but i've never had any of the flavors so i didn't actually until just this moment i did not know realize that they made flavors even I also did not know until about three hours ago when I was at the gas station and they had this one and I was like, oh, it's flavored. Oh, it's called Mango Chainsaw. Yes, please. <laughs> Hook it up to my veins. <laughs> Turns out it's pretty delicious. It doesn't have the flavors a little bit stronger than a LaCroix is. I mean, so, and really, that's all I want, honestly, is because La- LaCroix is barely flavored. Like, I, I was talking about this with uh, some friends the other night, and um, one of my friends calls LaCroix spicy water, and I'm like, there is nothing to LaCroix, like, at all. Um, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, uh, that, that's, it, it, um, so let me explain that to you. Um, okay. It's, kind of, it's an internet meme. Oh, um, okay. When something is super carbonated, a mm-hmm. lot of people on the internet, Gen Z in particular, have been referring to highly carbonated Sprite as a spicy beverage. Okay. Okay, It's a Gen Z meme. Don't ask me to explain it any further. Is this this the impetus behind Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew? Do we have these Gen Zers to thank for that? Probably. (sighs) Damn wiener kids, get off my lawn. There's so much Um, Flamin' Hot stuff, I had no idea. I mean, but this this person is a millennial, so I don't know that she would necessarily equate that. I don't know. Whatever. Doesn't matter. I'm a millennial too, and I pick up Gen Z memes all the time. That's true. You're you're actually, but you're both both of you are much you know more on the pulse of things than I am. You're also significantly younger than I am too. Well, you're a year younger than me. Sig- what? I'm hey, so okay? old, Brett. I'm I'm so old. I'm decrepit. I'm dying slowly. Um, I, I don't know, man. I'll, 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 I'll be. You're drinking something called liquid death right now. Don't think the irony of that's not lost on me. <laughs> it's a quoted old friend of ours. We're all dying. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. (laughs) At any rate, Brett, we have gone this far into the episode that people have probably just gotten sick of us rambling and looked at the title of the episode. But in case they're still hanging on, waiting for us to say it, Brett, what movie are we talking about today? We're talking about Jetsons the Movie. Yes, that's right. From 1990, we're talking Jetsons the Movie, directed and produced by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, the men themselves, with a screenplay by Dennis Marks. 
starring George O'Hanlon, Mel Blanc, Penny Singleton, Tiffany, Patrick Zimmerman, Don Messick, Gene Vanderpill, uh, Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Shell, excuse me, Patty Deutsch, Dana Hill, Paul Kreppel, Rusty Taylor, Brad Garrett, BJ Ward, Steve McClintock, Rick Dees, Frank Welker, Janet Waldo. Uh, I mean, this cast is incredibly stacked. Michael Bell, um, Jeff Bergman, remember that name? Rob Paulson is one of the board members in this movie. Just an absolutely stellar cast on this, Brett. What a cast. Dare I say it, Brett? What a picture. What a picture indeed. Ooh. This is going to be one of those Stephen and Brett fight episodes, so buckle up, babies. Yeah, um, I don't have a strong opinion about it. <laughs> I mean, that's... It, yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. Um, but we are going to talk about uh, Jetsons, the movie, uh, tonight. Brett, before we jump into things, I do have a question for you, though. Uh, this is the first ever time that we have discussed a Hanna-Barbera movie or uh, any Hanna-Barbera property, for that matter, on this podcast. So tell me, what is your history? I guess we we kind of talked about Tom and Jerry a little bit, and they were eventually purchased by Hanna-Barbera. But what is your what is your history with the Hanna-Barbera brand? What is your history with the Jetsons in particular? Uh, take me on a journey, Brett, the journey of you and Hanna-Barbera and the Jetsons. Well, heavens to Murgatroyd, Stephen. I'm a Hanna-Barbera fan. Hell yeah. Um, uh, I... I wouldn't go so far as to say I liked them with the Looney Tunes. But I mean, oh, no, I definitely wouldn't say that. Yeah, no, there was a time in my life where it might have gotten close, mm-hmm. but no. Um, I I mean, it, it, the, the theme park near us called Kings Island, they had a Hanna-Barbera land for a long time. When which, we were wee tots. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We were probably in our 20s when it became Snoopy Land, so still for a while. I mean, between that, there was it was a Nickelodeon Land for a while too. Oh, that's right, it did. My, get like taken during over. during my teenage years, it was it was it was no longer Hanna Barbera. I think it stopped being Hanna Barbera when I was like 10 or 11. I forgot that Nickelodeon took that over for a while. Well, yeah, it all goes downhill from there. I mean, look, the, your mind is the first thing to go. It's fine. <laughs> it is. You're not wrong. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure Nickelodeon was the reason they shut down my beloved Phantom Theater. I'm 100% confident of that. But, uh, but yeah, so there's that. And then I was always more of a Flintstones person than a Jetsons person, which is Mm -hmm. weird considering how much I enjoy sci-fi now. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, I definitely, you know, I was into dinosaurs just like everybody else. Sure. Um, So I was definitely much more a Flintstones person. Yeah. Um, And I mean, the vision of, by the time we were kids, the the Jetsons vision of the future was even at that point, pretty dated uh, because it's the whole thing. We'll get into it here in a second is based in sixties futurism. So. Well, sure. Um, But we've still got a good, what, 40 years before that's a thing. Um, I mean, yeah. And we all know we're, we're heading for those high, high, high rises now. Well, sure, uh, but I mean, look, we got to talk about why we're doing this episode this week. That's true. That that is true, and we're going to get to that right after I share my history with the Hanna Barbera cartoons. I, I, I suppose we'll put a pin in that. Sorry, I brought it up. You're Brett. You you never need to apologize for hosting your own podcast. That's that's never something you need to apologize for, sir. I'm always sorry, Stephen. It's fine. I it's you know what? Me too. I I get it, man. 
Let's, let's hug it out, bitch. Come here. I'm hugging my computer monitor right now. Yeah. You didn't even pretend, so that's fine. Um, I did it in my brain. <laughs> Oh, okay. I guess that's fine. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've been I've been a Hanna Barbera. Fan. I was an animation kid, like well past the time when it was probably fashionable for me to be an animation kid. I was still an animation kid. Like I loved, I've always loved animation. I've always loved uh, cartoons um, since I was a, a wee 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 tot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Looney Tunes were probably the ultimate. Um, I loved the Disney cartoons as well. Um, but very close third would be the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. I The animation was always kind of shitty on Hanna-Barbera because it was cheap. Like that was kind of their thing, right? They were the ones who like they re- would recycle animation, kind of trace, reuse in order to do it. Everything as cheaply as possible. The background looped. Correct. The, the loop background is, yep is is the 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 biggest uh indictment of that for sure and the fact yeah when they're walking they're all kind of they just move like a couple parts of themselves and then they'll reuse that for like several frames um very cheaply done but it was the characters like the characters were all very compelling and even the characters were kind of lazy like they kind of built them all around like similar themes like uh for a while there it was group of teenagers and weird mascot so you've got like based on the popularity of scooby-doo you get like speed buggy uh, I dream of genie, uh, the captain caveman cartoon where he's got like his own band Jabberjaw, like all those. And then, you know, the, one of their earliest successes was, um, Huckleberry hound. So you get like Snagglepuss and Magilla gorilla and kind of these very distinctly voiced characters. Uh, Yogi bear is another one that kind of fits in that similar mold. Good old quick drama girl. Quick Draw McGraw, their second, I think, major success after after Huckleberry Hound. Uh, and then the third model they had was The Family, uh, which, of course, they pioneered basically by ripping off the Honeymooners and creating a... What if, what if the Honeymooners, but prehistoric? Uh, and that's how we got uh, the Flintstones. And then it was, okay, well, what if we just took this model and did, like, sitcom Family... But what if we did it in the far flung future? And that's how we get the Jetsons, right? So um, not as as blatant a ripoff of the Honeymooners or of any existing television show that I can pinpoint or at least that I'm familiar with. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've I loved the Jetsons growing up. I love the Flintstones like any any cartoon I could get my hands on. I loved like I was a pretty indiscriminate fan of just cartoons in general. Uh, and I loved all of them. And I used to love to draw cartoons and I would draw all the cartoon characters hanging out together. Like that one um, Saturday morning anti-drug commercial uh, that ran for a half an hour that one time on TV. Um, where all the, the cartoon all-stars. Do you, do you remember that one, Brett? Vaguely. Um, the Smurfs were in that one, another Hanna-Barbera thing. Um, the, the See, Phantom, Phantom Theater took over my beloved Smurfs ride at Kings Island, so... I loved the Smurfs ride. It was like, um, uh, it was, uh, it's a small world meets Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, cause it was, you know, the same Smurf song sung annoyingly over and over again, but then all the Smurfs were doing crazy things like the Pirates and Pirates of the Caribbean. So it was a, it was a, it was a good, you know, merge of the two. Uh, but Phantom Theater was fun too. I liked that one also. I mean, I, I remember the Smurfs, right? Love that Smurfs ride. Yeah, it was fine. I was distraught when they shut it down, uh, particularly when they replaced it with something that uh, six-year-old <laughs> me deemed scary. Uh, so I didn't probably. write it for like another seven years. Actually, probably longer, probably more like eight or ten. 
Look, man, I, I will be honest. I will I will share some embarrassing details here. First time I rode Phantom Theater, mm-hmm. fucking terrified. I was clinging mm. to my dad's arm. I was so terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterwards, I, I love the hell. Sure. And I mean, that's that's honestly the reason why when we went to Disney World, I declined to ride the Haunted Mansion because I I was, as as mentioned on this podcast before, I was a big damn scaredy cat uh, in, in my youth. So anything that was remotely seen as potentially scary was not going to be for me. No, sir. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've loved, uh, Hanna-Barbera. I love the Jetsons. Jetsons are great. Um, loved, uh, particularly the, uh, the made for TV movie from 1987, the Jetsons meet the Flintstones where your favorite modern stone age family meets your favorite far flung future family. And, uh, they get swapped in time and uh, yeah, all sorts of crazy shenanigans happen, but yeah, it is great. Um, but yeah, so we're going to, we're talking about Jetsons, the movie today. And uh, Brett, why are we covering Jetsons the colon the movie from 1990? Why, why, why this? Why now? Well, there's one reason in particular. Another one popped up recently that we'll talk mm. about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main one uh, is uh, it's George Jetson's birthday, maybe at the end yeah. of July or July at the end of August. Right. So, so the internet conflicts as the internet is wont to do. Um, there are two different sources for George Jetson's birthday. The first is July 31st, which was just this past weekend as of the release of this episode, also the date of this recording. Um, but the other one was actually uh, later in the month of August. I want to say sometime around the 22nd of August. Um, but the internet has kind of already done it. Oh, it's George Jetson's birthday somewhere, somewhere right now. George Jetson is being born into this world. So we said, fuck it. Let's just do it now. Uh, so fuck it. We're doing it now. When the internet makes something viral, that's it. That's it. So, uh, are we doing this solely for the clicks? Yeah, probably. Um, but Hey, uh, we're going to talk about Jetsons the movie. Uh, it's one that I did. You watch this movie as a kid, Brett? Uh, I don't. I no. I don't think I did. This this okay. movie did not trigger any sort of core memories for me whatsoever. Okay. See, and whereas I remember watching this one quite a bit. We did not own it on VHS, uh, but it was a staple of the uh, of the after school care that my parents uh, put me in uh, growing up. So. Uh, after after school was out, I would uh, go to aftercare, and th- on Fridays, every Friday, we'd watch a movie. And for uh, for the span of a few months, this was in heavy rotation. So I definitely remember watching Jetsons the movie a lot. So now I will definitely tell you, I watched a lot of movies similar to this. Um, sure, this movie, which I mean, I'll get ahead of myself a little bit, but this movie is definitely cookie cutter of its time similar to 20 other movies that I could rattle off right now that are identical to this. It's almost like there were only three ideas for movies in the, in the late nineties or late eighties, early nineties, especially for cartoons, especially for, for children's animated features for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll get, we'll get into all that. Um, uh, so yeah, so happy birthday, George Jetson where we love you and we're going to talk about your movie. Um, but before we get into the actual meat of the movie, Brett, there is one other thing that we need to take care of. And it is something we have actually not had to do now for a few weeks. Uh, I'm, we, we did do it once last month. 
Oh, true. Yeah, you're right. Because there was one episode last month where we did not have a guest, but before that, it had been over a month because right. we had a guest every 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 week in June. We love all those people. Thank you, friends. Um, no, but we are actually uh, talking about the plot in 60 seconds. Yes, we've done it. But one thing we have not done, uh, except for one time in the last couple of months, is flip the coin of justice. And so I have the coin of justice right here. It's been collecting the, some dust. It, it has. We just brush it off here and make it, it. Just shine it up real nice. It'll be okay. Coin of justice polished up all nice. And uh, we're going to go ahead and flip the coin of justice. Uh, so... To those who, to the uninitiated, for those who are like Jetsons, the movie, hot damn! Let this be the first episode of this podcast I listen to. Uh, first of all, welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, but second of all, this is a segment we call the plot in sixty seconds. In this segment, rather than spend the entire episode walking through the plot of the movie, uh, we're just going to get it out of the way so we can talk about uh, some of the other fun stuff associated with this movie, like how we felt about it and you know our feelings. Um, and you know, if we decide to do research, maybe we talk about that too. Um, but um, in order to decide which of us is going to recount the plot in 60 seconds or less, we're going to go to our good friend, the coin of justice. And so I am going to uh, flip said coin and Brett is going to call the toss in the air. Are you ready to call the toss, Brett? Yeah. Go for it. Heads. And it is heads, you bastard. How? 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 I am bad at flipping. Uh, but like. The odds, the odds, sir. The odds are ever in your favor and never in mine is basically how we shake that out. Yeah, look, man, I, look, it doesn't matter how you flip it. Odds say you will eventually be like, I, I, I won't question it. Never mind. Carry on. I was going to say, you are not the person who should be questioning this. It should be me. And I'm just going to chalk it up to the fact that I am shit at coin tosses. Um, it shouldn't matter, though. Probability d- doesn't matter. Maybe or maybe or maybe, Brett. I'm better at coin tosses than I know that I am, which is why I keep getting the same damn outcome every time. Uh, maybe you need to figure out how to do it for tails, though. I do. Yeah. See that that's my, that's my maybe I just turn it upside down before I flip it. Maybe that's what I need. I'll I'll try that next time. We'll see how that works. Yeah, give that a shot. Because that's that. I mean, next time's episode 100, Brett. I don't want to. I don't want to create too much of a tease too fast, but Brett. Next next week's episode one hundred. I mean, yeah, we should do. We should try to figure out something special for the plot sixty. I I agree. Uh, um, I have, I have no idea what that'll be. I have some ideas. We'll talk about them off mic. Right. Um, clearly, we've put a lot of thought and planning into our hundredth episode. <laughs> but it falls well, into. I didn't me. believe that until you spoiled it. <laughs> We actually have put a lot of thought into our hundredth episode. I've got some ideas. I've got some fun plans. Um, and it's going to be, it's, it's a doozy of a movie. I think you guys are going to be really happy with our selection for episode 100. If you don't already know what it is. And if you're one of our patrons, you already know what it is. So get hype, my friends. You've read that completely unhinged. Uh, oh my word. Reveal. Yeah, so when I posted that, I was in a very bad brain space, and um, so all the snark and just, like, mentally unhinged Steven just came pouring out onto the page. Um, and honestly, I think it's some of the best shit I've ever written. <laughs> it's worth your dollar. It Don't really is. Just to read that. It's worth the dollar, and plus you get access to some other shit that we have up there as well. Um, so if you liked the sneak peek from a couple of weeks ago of our Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode... Hell, you'll probably like what we've got back for you behind the paywall there. Uh, Patreon.com slash disenfranch. 
pod. Kind of all over the place tonight, Brett. Um, so it falls then to me to recount the plot of Jetson's colon the movie from 1990 in 60 seconds or less, as it ever often does. Um, but Brett, if you could go ahead and put 60 seconds on the clock, I will recount the plot of Jetson's colon the movie from 1990, directed by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, the men themselves. All right. Your time starts right this second. Meet George Jetson, his boy Elroy, daughter Judy, Jane, his wife. Bam, 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 bam. He gets a promotion. He's on an oar because the uh, the satellite uh, or the, the the drilling operation that Spacely's put there keeps malfunctioning. It's being sabotaged by cute little Mogwai meet Ewok characters uh, that are indigenous people. And it turns out the drill is actually uh, destroying their home. And so they have to stop it. Uh, but George, uh, who's been kind of neglecting his family, is kind of indignant about that whole thing. Uh, and so he's like, no, I've got to save my job. And his family's like, no, we got to save the little cute things. Um, and so he uh, he completely shuts down the plant, basically gets mad at him. He does somehow manage to keep his position and uh, leads to the exploitation of an entire indigenous species. Hooray. Um, and then everything gets reset to the status quo at the end of the ep- at the end of the movie. Uh, so we can do this several more times, uh, except not, obviously. Um, and then also. Uh, Judy is pining for a boy the whole time, and she's not voiced by the original actress. How much time do I have left? I mean, that's time. I didn't give you any warnings because you were at the end of the movie at like forty-five seconds. Like, you know, I can you you know I can ramble, son. Like you didn't even give me thirty, so I'm literally just like I have no fucking idea how much. Oh, time I was I like, he's, he's just gonna finish up here in a couple seconds, so I'm not gonna give him any warnings. Well, and again, had you given me had you had I had at least one warning, I would have known how much time I had to get through the Judy Jetson subplot. But yeah. Because I was just gonna literally just crowbar that in at the end there. Let's, man, just let yeah, let's put quotations and marks around that subplot. <laughs> it's definitely the B plot of the movie. Um, it is definitely there so that Tiffany has more to do in this movie. So we can shoehorn um, in a few musical numbers and a music video in the middle of the movie. There, first of all, that music video might be the best damn part of this movie. Um, if I'm being real honest, that music video was actually really good. I, I had a lot of fun with it. It's very late 80s, which is when this movie was being animated. So, I mean, it definitely reminds me of like some like Duran Duran, aha kind of bullshit that you'd see on MTV around this time. But I thought it was pretty good. Like I had I got a kick out of it. Yeah, I mean, it was all right. Was all, all the music in this movie is bad. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, you're look, you're not I, I, I'm not I'm not going to fight you on that at all. Like, I have no strong I know shit about music, first of all, um, but I I'm not going to defend any of the music in this movie. Uh, I know the the first song that uh, that Judy sings, uh, the one where she's pining for Cosmic Cosmo. Uh, what a fucking name um, is um, that's her. Uh, that's that was the artist. Tiffany is one of her favorite songs that she's ever sung, apparently. Um, so, I mean, there, there's that. And honestly, I think divorced from this movie, it's, it's probably actually probably the best song in the movie. Um, unfortunately it's, you know, it's wrapped around a a sad girl montage of, of a girl whose only characterization in this movie is I love boys, especially musicians. That is literally her only character and the mall and the mall. Let's go to the mall today. I mean, all the, all the ladies love the mall in this movie. Yeah, that's look not real progressive. Mm-mm. 
Uh, no, was talking was talking to a friend of the podcast, Mandy Gossage, about this movie uh, earlier, and uh, she's like, the cartoon was really sexist, and I'm like, the movie's not that bad. And she's like, oh, so they don't spend the entire movie at the mall, and I was like, oh fuck, no, it, I guess it is. <laughs> I guess it is really sexist. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, yeah. no, you you've got a really valid point, and in fact, yes, it is pretty damn sexist. Yeah, I mean, so Jane gets a whole ten seconds where she has something other than the mall to talk about. Recycling, she's recycling yeah. at the beginning of the movie, like yeah. it's the important thing, and you're like, well, surely this this will carry through the rest of the film, like nope. Elroy's spaceball obsession and Judy's obsession with Cosmic Cosmo and or any other musician boy she happens to come across. Nope, that is literally Jane saying, and my recycling is the last we hear about recycling in this movie. <laughs> yep, it's uh, it's not good. It's not and, not a good look. I mean, and and again, I you know a lot of that does come from the fact that this is. A 1960s animated sitcom, right? So the Jetsons, it airs in the late 60s based on the success of the Flintstones, which was like one of the one of the early examples of a primetime animated sitcom. It was a blatant ripoff of the Honeymooners um, to the extent that that uh, Jackie Gleason seriously considered suing at one point and then didn't. Um it, it lasted for a year in prime time and then basically got syndicated into Saturday mornings for decades. Like they only had like 22 episodes and they would just play those on Saturday mornings where it was a hit. And then in the late eighties, they kind of revamped it a little bit and did like kind of a new, a new Jetsons cartoon, um, which is, this is sort of kind of the logical extension then of that cartoon. But that cartoon ended in 89 because the voice cast was starting to die. Um, in fact, this film marks the final film performances of George O'Hanlon, who plays George Jetson, and Mel Blanc, who plays um, Mr. Spacely. Um, the immortal Mel Blanc, the man who brought us Porky Pig and Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Sylvester and Tweety and fucking every Looney Tune ever. Yeah, I was shocked when I saw Mel Blanc's voice. I was like, I thought he was dead by now. No, this was his last movie. He actually died the year before this movie was released, as did George Hanlon. Um, you want to hear something really fucking bleak, Brett? I would love to. The answer to that question is always yes. <laughs> um, George Hanlon uh, suffered a – he had already suffered a stroke. He was in very poor health. The man was almost literally on his deathbed recording this movie. Um, had a second stroke in the recording studio and died recording his dialogue for this movie. Fucking hell, man. Right? Fucking bleak. Did I not tell you? He did. To that, fair, I mean, that is maybe one of the bleakest things I've ever heard in my life. Did he finish like, it, though? Do what? Did he finish it, though? Here's the thing. No. Uh, and technically, neither did Mel Blanc. However, most, so much of it was recorded, it was more or less done. The only thing, like... Jeff Bergman, who I mentioned as in that long litany of the cast that I that I brought up, um, Jeff Bergman did come in and do any cleanup work that needed to be done. Anything that they hadn't, Mel Blanc and um, George O'Hanlon just forgot his name. Damn, sorry, George. Um, anything that they hadn't recorded, he came at, back through and and re-recorded it. So it it got done, but. Yeah, they had they had finished m enough of it that they were it was done. It was just kind of any rewrites or cleanup that needed to be done. They brought in Jeff Bergman for that. So, well, that's good. 
we might yeah. have never gotten this movie at all. Right. And boy, would that have been a shame. <laughs> um, speaking of the voice cast, there's one other big thing that we need to talk about with regard to the voice cast, and that is Judy Jetson. Brett, what did you think of Judy Jetson's voice in this movie? He said already knowing the answer. Fucking hated it. The hell's going on? This it, it was so obvious mm-hmm. that they cast a voice for the singing mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can figure out the voice acting later. We just need you for the songs. Stumble your way through this acting. Um. So legitimately, that is more or less a hundred percent what happened. So they're they're in production on this movie, and the studio. Janet Waldo, who is the original voice of Judy Jetson, actually comes in and records the entire movie. In fact, she's still in the movie credited as Mr. Spacely's robot secretary. Um, so she's still in the movie. And well, this there is, is a shittier than I thought it was. Right. Oh, buddy, buckle up. Um, so she she records all of her dialogue for the movie, records this other part as well. Um, and they bring in the popular artist Tiffany probably most well-known for her 1987 cover of the Tommy James and the Shondell song, I Think We're Alone Now, uh, which Weird Al did a cover of, her version of it, called I Think I'm a Clone Now, uh, which is a straight banger. Um, we love Weird Al. For sure. Mad respect. Indeed. It's, it's a shame that UHF was a one-off, because I would fucking love to cover UHF on this podcast. <laughs> you know, he never um, wanted to do a sequel, ever. I, I I don't know. Let me let me Google UHF sequel after we're done with this recording, and I I'll would find love out. To have an episode about UHF. I mean, just fucking give us an excuse. Honestly, we could do a commentary behind the paywall on Patreon. True. Yeah. If, if we can't do a mainline episode, we'll give you a Patreon episode. For that. Let us know what you think of that. Um, disenfranchpod at gmail dot com if you're interested, or uh, you can hit us up on uh, disenfran or uh, Patreon dot com slash disenfranchpod as well. Um, you too can drink from the fire hose. lucky 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 little boys um (laughs) you just found the marble in the oatmeal (laughs) (laughs) great now i'm gonna be quoting (laughs) uhf the whole night and i'm gonna Uh, gonna have to like cut it off before we go yeah i know i know i'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm stealing myself to get back into the judy jetson chat i have to stop yeah so the studio reaches out to tiffany and they're like we want you like you're really popular with the kids Right now, and so we want to give this movie some youth appeal, some a little freshness, a little of that freshy fresh. Um, so why don't you come in and do the singing voice of Judy Jetson? And she's like, yeah, sure. Uh, her first ever movie. I know that comes as absolutely no surprise to you. <laughs> the, the feigned shock look that Brett is giving me right now. Um, chef's kiss, sir. Um, and then as they get more and more excited about the music that she's recording for them. They say, you know, we could just have her voice the entire role and then we can put her in all the promotional materials. Hey, Tiffany is the voice of Judy Jetson. So that's what they do. Uh, the cast or the, uh, yeah, the casting director, Andrea Romano, whose name you write recognize from the end of every episode of Tiny Toon Adventures and Animaniacs, um, was so pissed that she asked her name be removed from the credits of this production um, because she was so pissed over th- how the studio treated Janet Waldo. Um, this was a universe. This was distributed by Universal, but um, 
Now Hanna-Barbera is owned by Warner Brothers, and they don't treat their voice cast that much better, as evidenced by a little movie called Scoob. And you have to say it like that because there's an exclamation point at the end. Um, as of very recently, future episode of this podcast, Scoob, Brett. Yeah, that was the other reason we're talking about it, hint I gave you earlier, because, uh, man, that really sucks, doesn't it? Uh, as of like just of uh, earlier today on the day that we're recording this, um, uh, Scoob 2 Holiday Haunt was canceled, shelved by Warner Brothers along with the Batgirl movie. Uh, I so it was a prequel because they're like kids, kids. Oh, okay. The pictures I, I saw. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't mean, they did that with it. they did that in the first Scoob as well, though. So sure, probably. I don't know. I didn't watch it, nor did I care. Look, Scooby Doo was, was went out a long time ago. I mean, but this was a kind of a blatant attempt by Warner Brothers to do a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe. Warner Brothers cannot shake the notion of trying to get a shared cinematic universe together. The problem is they have no fucking clue where to start. Like pretty much everybody who's not Kevin Feige, they have no idea where to start. Yeah, really. They should just hire Kevin Feige to do it. I mean, but here's the thing. He's locked in at Disney. He's not leaving. Like, I don't look. Who's to say he can't make two paychecks? Uh, Disney probably is, is to say that. They're, they they tend to be pretty territorial, man. Do they? Yes. <laughs> yes, they do, Brett. Do I Your skepticism is, like, surprising, honestly. <laughs> I'm just having a goof. Mouse is going to lock it down, man. Mouse is going to keep that shit locked down tight. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Scoob is is very, bla- I mean, Captain Caveman is in it, voiced by Tracy Morgan, which, I mean, perfect casting. But none of the the voice cast from the Scooby-Doo cartoons, um, uh, like I know Matthew Lillard had been the voice of Shaggy. He was replaced by Will Forte. Frank Welker has voiced Fred from Time Immemorial. He was replaced by Zac Efron. Um Mindy Cohn from Facts of Life had been voicing Velma. She was scrapped as well. Like pretty much the entire voice cast got canned with the exception of Frank Welker, who did, in fact, he didn't voice Fred, but he did voice Scooby-Doo as he's been doing pretty much since Don Messick died. You mean they weren't able to uh, resurrect the body of Casey Kasem to do Shaggy? No, no, sadly, no, they, they were not. Um, oh, shit. Kind of surprised they didn't try, but uh, I mean, those, those were the actors. And I think gray, is it gray Delisle? Was that the actress who was been voicing? Um, I'm I see. I didn't want to say her name cause I wasn't sure what it was. And now that I've said it, I have to no look it up. Live action actors. What makes you think I'm going to know voice acting? Actors? I mean, I can hope or is Unless it they're one of the big ones? I know the big ones most of the time. Uh, For it might example, be. Um, I can tell you that uh, Frank Walker doing a solid Slimer voice um, with the uh, little creatures at the end of the movie. I forget their names. Uh, uh, yes, the uh, the gir- uh, the Grungies. Grungies, yes. Um, yeah, their leader, Slimer voice. Frank Walker doing the Slimer voice. I mean, yeah. Though I mean, I think it. it uh, hold on, I think it is actually the actress is Gray Griffin. So my apologies to everybody. Uh, let me double check and make sure that that is in fact accurate. Uh, yes, she has been Daphne in uh, Scooby Doo um, pretty much since. Oh gosh, I would say probably sometime in the early two thousands. I mean, she's been doing it for a while, and again, these were the actors that had been doing it in just about every form of media 
And then Warner Brothers decided, no, we want to replace all of them with, you know, established actors, except for the guy who's been doing Scooby-Doo forever, because that's the one voice we can't really change. Um, so, yeah, it looks like, I mean, we're talking early 2000s, maybe even earlier. I'm scrolling back through her IMDb page right now. Um, but, yeah, it looks like Greg Griffin's first outing as Daphne Blake was in the year 2000 in a little video game called Scooby-Doo showdown in ghost town so but yeah all all the all the actresses and actors and actresses that had been basically doing the scooby voices um you know for years they pretty much said never mind um and basically pulled a tiffany with the entire cast greg griffin i know was pretty vocal about it on twitter at the time as well matthew lillard just seemed like yeah you know it's fine what happens whatever but like greg griffin was pretty pissed so and understandably so like you've kind of become iconic as a specific character. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to get someone else to do your job for you. Sorry. No hard feelings. And we're probably still going to call you in to do other shit, but you know, just not this movie that we're trying to use to build a cinematic universe off of. It's incredibly shitty. shitty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of the casting, uh, the casting stuff from this movie. Um, so you got, you know, a couple actors. And of course, uh, Dawes Butler, the actor who did the voice of Elroy on the cartoon, um, he had died, I think, the year before. So he didn't get to record any of the dialogue. So he was replaced by a man named Patrick Zimmerman, who at the time, I believe, was married to a, a the vocal director uh, on the movie, Chris Zimmerman. Uh, so she was the one that got her husband fired or hired rather. So uh, apparently they still work together despite their marriage ending in somewhere in the early nineties. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Nice that, you know, they can have, they can continue to have a, a positive working relationship inspires hope out there for those that might need it. Um. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of the voice acting uh, thing here. Let's let's talk. Ab- so the music you were not you were not fond of the music in this movie, Brett. No, it's, it was like any other of the you know late eighties, early nineties uh, child focused animations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very just a bunch of pop ballads, um, and then uh, the movie is topped off with a rap song. Yeah, it is. Um, the jet called, I, I think, the Jetsons rap by a group called XXL. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's normal. Um, again, I could name about twenty other animated movies around this time that did the same thing. Um, it I was. I could also name that, some live action movies that did the same thing. It was uh, the nineties. Yeah, it was. Uh, but <laughs> we're, you know what. What's what's the most popular music genre with the uh, with the young folk with oh, the youths with the youths it's it's rap oh okay <laughs> let's do a rap song about this movie uh yeah let the movie you just watched we're gonna rap about it for a little while um Adam's Groove from the Adams Family uh, uh, a a song that you and I are on record as enjoying um, well yeah no it, I mean it wasn't all bad. No, I, I will I'll always point to it's on my Spotify playlist right now. Multiple rap songs on the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. There you go. Fucking chef's kiss on our own, on our own. Fantastic. I know that entire rap. 
Uh, there was T-U-R-T-L-E Power at the end of the uh, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And then you've got uh, the Ninja Rap performed in the film by one Vanilla Ice. Um, that was kind of the, the breakaway, quote unquote, hit from that movie. I mean, it was happening a lot. Late 80s, early 90s was like the golden age of the obligatory rap song in a movie predominantly aimed at children. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so. And it, most of the time, this is what it sounded like. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I rolled my eyes right out of my head. Um, oh, I almost and, forgot. The uh, the tag team version of Whoop There It Is at the end of Adam's Family Values. Oh, uh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, it, you, that's probably the, the, the worst part of that movie. A movie, again, that you and I are both on record as loving. Mm-hmm. Um, see our Patreon commentary on Adam's Family Values at the $5 level. Yes, please do. It's great. Please do. It's, it's really fantastic. fun. We had a you, blast. You can, go, you can go, you listen to two guys sit in silence just enjoying a movie for a large chunks of it. <laughs> laughing uh, laughing uh, effusively, uh, praising Raul Julia until like we run out of breath. Like It's it's a great time. It is. It's a great time. But yeah, uh, no, man, the music, the music is not it uh, in this movie. Um, and I mean, a lot of that, I mean, they're really banking on Tiffany's celebrity to kind of like assist with a lot of the movie. And I mean, I think you could more or less call Tiffany a one hit wonder. Like, I don't know of any, she had other singles, but I don't know if any of them were legitimately hits. Um, I think we're alone now might be her only number one hit. Um, At this point, she, I mean, it looks like she did a lot of, um, a lot of reality television um, and then was in a bunch of really shitty movies. Uh, like Necrosis in uh, 2009, Mega Piranha in 2010, and then Mega Python versus Gatoroid in 2011. Wow. Yeah. The true crossover everyone was asking for. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can't believe that I'm, movie didn't make more money. Right. I just, it's a shame. Honestly, I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if there was a, a cinematic universe built up around it so that we could potentially cover it on this podcast one day. <laughs> That that reeks of like some asylum bullshit. Like all of that just kind of reeks of like asylum stuff. Um, yeah, man. I mean, look, B movie is going to be a movie. Mm-hmm. Horror movies have been around since time immemorial. Correct. And I mean, that's I mean, that's the asylum thing, man. The one asylum movie I'm actually legitimately interested in. If we can sidebar into asylum, we can tell we're really excited to talk about Jetsons the movie. Um, <laughs> If I can, if I can sidebar for just a second, the one Asylum film I'm actually legitimately curious about, uh, around the time the Avengers came out, they did one for like fairy tale characters with like a little Red Riding Hood and shit. Um, I I am morbidly curious about what the hell that one is. I'm not gonna lie. There's there's a few of those, weren't there? there? There's also the one that has like Santa Claus, and it was one we were gonna do for Christmas one year. That's Rise of the Guardians, and I, it is on the schedule for this Christmas, unless we think of something else. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not going to. I don't so. think we are either. Um, I mean, there's always the nice guys. There's that scene at the end at the Mexican restaurant which, where it's set at Christmas. And it's a Shane Black movie. So technically those are all Christmas movies except for The Predator, which is a Halloween movie. Yeah. Just, which, I which is can't what we were going to cover instead? Uh, it, was, it was the other option for this because Prey is coming out this weekend. Um, directly to Hulu. Um, hooray. Really glad I don't get to see that movie on a big screen because that would just be awful. 
Look, man, I can't blame them for doing that. Do you do you really think they want to take a chance on a franchise that has notoriously sucked balls for their box office for the last 20 years? That's true. The Predator films do notoriously underperform, um, which is a shame because I, I half of those movies are really good. Yes. And we, the other half. We on half, but. Do we? I don't think I mean, we do. We, we both like the first one. You don't like Predators. I do like Predators. Predators is number two with a bullet. Oh. Um. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it as much as you do. I thought you didn't like Predators. I thought we no. just agreed on that. Oh, no, okay. right. I like Predators. Okay. Yeah. I, again, I, I think I have a few more quibbles with it than you do, which we'll discuss whenever we get to Predators on this podcast. Maybe the next time, maybe if Prey does really well, they'll do another Predator movie and we can do it then. I've heard really good things about it, honestly. I've heard it's fantastic. Yeah, it might be the new second best Predator movie. Yeah. I'm willing. To, I'm willing to accept that that might be true. Okay, hold on. I'm I'm having some some doubts here, really quick. What was the one Shane Black did recently? The last the Predator. One? Yeah, that was okay, the, that was the fourth that. one. Yeah. Okay. All right. I wanted to make sure I wasn't getting them confused. Yeah. So and again, this is Predator is a franchise that has one of the more confusing naming conventions. Uh, so it's Predator, Predator Two. So pretty normal so far. Then we do like a twenty year gap. And then it's Predators. If you don't count AVP. Which I don't. And you know very well I don't. Yeah, I don't want to either. <laughs> um, so, so we go to uh, Predators. We do the Alien Aliens thing. And we go Predators. That one doesn't hit. So we wait another nine years. And then we do The Predator, which gets hacked to shit. It's the the truth. And I think I've talked about this on this podcast before. Just the notion that Shane Black's entire Hollywood career as a director is make a really great movie exactly the way he wants to. And the studio goes, that's great. Make this franchise movie. And so he does. And they're like, oh, fuck. No, not like that. Um, and so he's like, well, fuck you. Goes and makes another movie exactly the way he wants to. It's it's great. People love it. And then they're like, oh, great. Make this franchise movie for us. And he goes, okay, great. I will. I'm like, Oh, fuck. No, not like that. Um, which is exactly what happened with Iron Man 3 and The Predator. Um, and in between he made, or before... Uh, the first one he makes is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is great. And then the third one is The Nice Guys, another future episode of this podcast, The Nice Guys, um, which is also great. A movie that really should have gotten sequels by now and unfortunately never will. Yeah. Because that movie I, fucking rips. I, I like The Nice Guys a lot. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it. but I, feel I think you'd get a kick out of it, man. I probably would. Uh, I'll watch it when we do the episode. There you go. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's enough of a reason for us to cover that one for Christmas this year. I don't know. We can put it to a vote on social media or maybe just for our patrons. Sure. To Let's incentivize the people. For the third time this episode. Fuck yes. <laughs> no, Making no, don't, that don't do it. Money. Don't, no, don't do it. Patreon.com slash just in French pod. Um God damn it. <laughs> Um so so Jetsons colon the movie. Um, so again, a lot of this is hitting nostalgia buttons for me, which I don't often like, look, I can, I can tell this is in terms of a movie. Yeah, this, you're right. This is absolutely kind of a cookie cutter movie that is very much of this time. Like in terms of the environmental messaging, which is, you know, fairly mild at best. Uh, it's very much in line with something like a Fern Gully if not maybe a little less overt than a fern gully, but it's kind of right in that same wheelhouse. 
my brother in Christ, that's all Fern Gully was about. I know. Dude, just uh, that's why I said less overt. You said um, maybe less overt. You were downplaying that shit. The main villain is Sludge, my guy. <laughs> Touche. Who's who's singing who's singing all about it in a sexy Tim Curry voice, uh, which is the only voice Tim Curry has. Um true. The sexual awakening that happened for many people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh I watched that movie literally once and uh my my Republican parents said, Never again. Um, and I have not seen it since. So there you go. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll revisit Fern Gully and and see if it's as good as everyone on the internet seems to think it is. I mean, it probably wanted to be a franchise. It was a cartoon in the early '90s. Of course, it did. I mean, we could, we can, we can talk about it. Uh, unless they did it straight to video sequels, which they may have done. Oh, I think they did. I think they that was have. also a thing in the '90s. That was it. Was the '90s absolutely? Um, and again, kind of amazing. This didn't. I think two things affected this movie's chances at a sequel. One, um, the voice cast was dying off. <laughs> Um, to put it as, as delicately as I possibly can, um, like the voice cast, just get a necromancer on retainer. It's fine. (laughs) It'll work. That never goes wrong. There are totally no horror movies about that premise. Every time there's a movie about that, it's always super chill and works out exactly the way you expect. No monkey's paw situation there at all. Necromancers get a bad rap. Okay. (laughs) Just because they're demonized in popular media. Like, they need to give them a break. Hashtag justice for necromancers. Yes, hashtag justice for necromancers. Like, they're bothered, Putting the they're romance back in necromancy, it's fine. Yeah, look, they can they can raise a family with the best of them. Oh, shit. They're, they're, they're great bodybuilders. <laughs> um, you gotta put some respect on their name. I'm just saying. Oh fuck! That's that's I needed that. That's the good stuff, baby. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. So first of all, the voice cast is like is dying off. Um, again, to put it just as delicately as I possibly can. Um, but secondly, this movie didn't do very well. Uh, it was not a box office success at all by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and I mean, they are really doing everything they can think to do. They bring back almost the entirety of the original voice cast, uh, and then they bring up a ton of like up and coming voice actors. You've got Rissy Taylor, who is uh, a key voice on the Simpsons. Um, Patty Deutsch, Dana Hill, who we talked about before in the Tom and Jerry movie, the aforementioned Tom and Jerry movie. She was the voice of Jerry, the mouse uh, died in 1996 at the age of 32 due to complications of di- due to diabetes. Um, you've got uh, radio announcer, Rick Dees as uh, rocket Rick Ragnarok. Um, you know, Rob Paulson, Brad Garrett, like you, Brad Garrett's first ever film ever. Brad Garrett, probably best known as Robert on Everybody Loves Raymond. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. has done a ton of voice acting since then. But yeah, this was like his first movie. I was shocked to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. I did not expect him to be in something this this old. I hate to say old and when referring to the 90s. I mean, Brett, but... you and I were alive when this movie came out. This mo- I remember the television ads for this movie. I don't, or maybe I do. I don't know. They're probably locked away in there somewhere. Um, yeah, I, I, I was seven. Yeah. Math is hard. Seven, I was seven. You were eight. 
yeah, would have been turning eight a that year, year. Year older than me, not or, significantly older as you. Oh wait, I would have. I would have been. I'm, I actually would have been turning seven later that month because it's. I was born in eighty three, so ninety. I would have been turning seven. Okay, so I would have been six. No, how? I was born in eighty four. 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90. Uh, yeah, look, math is hard. It's fine. Math is Let's hard. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I like, feel stupid. Move on. Move on. You're fine. Yeah. You're good. It's not like you do math every day as part of your job. Um, I don't. Oh, do you not anymore? I know you used to. Did I? Didn't you? Not really could have sworn that counting was an essential part of your job at one point uh, look, it's, that's not it's math <laughs> by sheer definition but it's not I, it's not hard uh, counting is not math <laughs> okay then i don't know what we just did but <laughs> apparently it wasn't math <laughs> i well i was adding and subtracting in my head that's how i was doing it uh, which is where it starts to fall apart um, <laughs> anything past counting i'm done uh, yeah. But like if I try to add and subtract, it just, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, this is, this is clearly a very, a very stable episode, an episode where we are keeping our composure and being very focused and getting to all the points that we want to make about this movie um, that we clearly want to talk about a whole lot. Well, look, if you're coming to this episode as your first episode, again, welcome. Uh, but but welcome to an episode where we don't have a whole lot to say about the movie. This happens. Sometimes, um, or we just we don't have a lot to say about the movie. There's not a whole lot there. This movie is bare bones. If you heard that plot in sixty seconds, he went from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie in fifteen seconds. Uh, it's not. It is not dense. It is it not. Is, it is a luxurious 70, 78 minutes. This movie, like it takes its time getting to seventy eight minutes, and I mean it. I I was glad of it honestly because so many of the movies that we cover tend to be a little long particularly the more recent ones so the fact that this was in and out in 78 minutes gosh i was like okay now what am i going to do with the rest of my night yeah i was i was happy when so i was watching it during work nice hopefully your boss doesn't listen to the podcast i mean it's fine okay i wasn't, I wasn't needed for anything oh there you um, go Good i was deal. still working i was still working oh, okay. uh it's not like i stopped and watched it Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I was glad when it was over because uh, I was, I was, I mean, I was ignoring it in parts because I was like, is there anything I would look over? Is anything happening? No. All right. I'll go back to work. Um, <laughs> like it's just, there's, there's nothing. There's a whole lot of nothing. Most of the middle of this movie is nothing. Well, this and movie I mean, probably could have been a half hour episode. It legitimately like or maybe like a two-parter a two-parter like uh 44 minutes so like two 22 minute episodes um like it you could have probably made that work um because it i mean honestly there's a lot of introduction of of characters that function in the least essential way possible um like all the characters are and but again this movie gets you to where like Within minute eight, we know exactly what the plot of this movie is, which I was so grateful for. Because, again, these days we have to wait 15 minutes, sometimes a half an hour, sometimes more, just to get to the damn plot of the movie. 
like just to get to the main impetus for what minute, like within 10 minutes of the, the credits, we now know what the movie is about. We know what the stakes are and we're going in like, that's great. Like, I love that. Um, so pacing wise, this movie, like I said, it takes its time getting to 78 minutes. Um, but it, it, it doesn't waste any. Not about that. Because, uh, like, the first 10 minutes, yes, great, fantastic. We've set up the plot. We know what's going on. Um, and then it takes another hour to really do anything of significance. Um, well, I mean, Brett, you have, to, you have to introduce all those characters that are essential to the plot. Okay. Like, uh, like the, the two family, Rudy two, Judy two, and Teddy two. It's not Judy two. What, what, is, what is her name? It is uh, uh, Lucy two. Yeah, so you got the robot family, the weird shrubbery family, furbelow yeah. family. Did uh, did Jane come across as like a little like um, maybe like uh, xenophobic in those those scenes where she's meeting the neighbors a little bit to you, or was it just me? Was I reading into the movie a little bit? Uh, well, I would say you're reading into it only because I don't believe this movie has any thing beyond the surface uh sure. the writers <laughs> were probably not thinking true. that far if they if, but, if i mean her reaction not intentional her reaction to like the uh the the lucy two says something and jane's like oh you do that and you're like mm. and then the shrub family shows up and like they think that the baby is a pet um and they're treating the child like it's a uh, like it's an animal uh, like, can I keep it? No, you can't keep it. Who does it belong to? Oh, it belongs to us. It's our daughter. <laughs> like, you're like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, I feel like that's just more so. That's just 90s humor. Okay. <laughs> no, touche, I guess. But I, I don't know. It, it felt weird to me. I was watching. I was like, ooh, that sits weird. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I don't know if it was just me reading into the movie. I don't think it was like intentionally trying to be like xenophobic or racist or anything. But like, ooh. Look, the movie does a lot of terrible things like that. I mean, from the aforementioned uh, sending all the female characters to the mall, the entire movie. The Galaxy Galleria. Yeah, where where we have such fantastic lines as, I hope George's credit card still works up here. Uh-huh. Uh, I hope his credit's good up here. Yep, great. credit's good up here. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, mm-hmm. I can't then, do it. I can't do it. What time does it open? I love that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quality. You want to go to the else. mall? I can't. I can't. What time does it open? Yeah, it's you know. Let's just go back to that age where mm-hmm. women only enjoyed the mall and shopping, and boys, and boys. Right. I was about to say, and fawning over boys, uh, particularly uh, svelte, attractive musicians. Uh, every girl's type. Right. I mean, can you blame them? <laughs> I bet uh, But no, she goes f- like a, a, a pop star literally pulls her out of the crowd and says, what's your name? And she says, Judy. And he goes, OK, Judy, I'm taking you out Friday. That's the interaction. Like no, you know, waiting for her to say yes. He just drops her back off and keeps singing. And you're like, OK. And then the next thing you know through the grapevine is that Helen stole her date with Cosmic Cosmo. Um, and then, you know, she's at the mall for not even five minutes and meets Apollo Blue, um, who's who's a who's a, a musician, but he's a songwriter. So he wants her to be the star. 
Right, a true gentleman. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, his his parting gift to her is the demo he recorded, <laughs> which just makes me laugh so hard. Like, here, girl, here's my mixtape. It's fire. Truly, you love to see it. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then, of course, at the end of the movie, we have the terrible allegory for indigenous culture and stealing the land and this movie actually turning Mr. Spacely into full-on villain instead of just an annoying boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and it, I mean, and here's the thing. Is he so different from like your, your Bezos's and your Zuckerberg's and your Gates's and your Musk's and any of your other like tech and or industrial mega bosses these days? Uh, I would say no, not really. Exploitation of workers to make a quick buck. Uh, that's a hundred percent their their thing. So, uh, I mean, that we're exposing, you know, the inherent evils within capitalism in 1990 is nice. I mean, we are coming off the Reagan era, so there was, you know, still some of those wounds were still fresh. But uh, you know, it's it's nice to see. Now, then, the fact that that leads to the exploitation of the Mogwai slash Ewok characters, the Grungies, uh, less less good. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's very allegorical to like, okay, we're going to take all your land, um, but then we're going to let you build your own businesses there. How about mm-hmm. that? How yeah. About, that's good, right? We'll let and you then, make your own money. And then we thank you for it. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're partners. Yes. Uh, we're going to We're going to sell you your own sprockets at a fair price. Heavy air quotes on fair price there. Because you know space is going to jip them the first chance he gets. This yeah, is going to be a yeah. This is going to be a Manhattan Island situation. You can pretty much pretty much bet on it. So, yeah, um, sure. but yeah, Spacely in those last like ten minutes, he goes full villain mode. Like George is like, you knew about these. Well, maybe I heard. Yeah, you knew. You knew. like it's very clear he knew these people were there and drilled anyway and didn't fucking care. Like the the evolution of Spacely as a character is in this movie is probably the biggest departure from the cartoon outside of the voice of Tiffany. Yeah, which honestly, you put those two things together and I wouldn't want to give this movie the time of day. Um, I mean, generally movies tend to need a villain. And since we were I mean, it's 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 a nice third act twist. It's a nice third act reveal. Um, but this is the kind of situation that you would bring in like a, 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 a character that's either pretty tertiary or a new character created specifically for the movie to kind of fill that role. You typically wouldn't give that unless it's a Mr. Burns esque character. You wouldn't give them the villain role in your in your major motion picture. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's right there the whole movie, too. Like they have the mm-hmm. board of directors. Just make one of them like. You know, Mr. Spacey's like, what are you talking about? I didn't know. And then one of the board speaks up. It's like, well, we did. Mm-hmm. We didn't care. Right. And like, why make Mr. Spacely the villain of the movie? It doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it does make sense. And I, I, I don't necessarily dislike it, but I'm just saying it's not the norm for this kind of movie. It's kind of the one way that we get like a departure from how these movies normally tend to go. Well, see, I, I dislike it because if this movie wanted to be a franchise... How do you move on from Mr. Spacely being the villain of the first movie? Like, are we just supposed to forget that? Like, the, like the at thing. the end of this movie, we'll reset the status quo. We're mm-hmm. supposed to go back to forgetting that Mr. Spacely is a bad guy. The Simpsons do it every week, man. 
Yeah, but Mr. Burns has always been like a really shitty boss character, like a really vi- and it's played for laughs that he's an sure. over the top villainous boss character. I mean, the fact that, you know, he does his major villain turn in like those season, I forget what season the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode is. Um, but, you know, yeah, he he goes like full supervillain at that point, blocks out the sun and and what have you. So yeah, and gets his comeuppance by getting shot. Like, I don't know, but would they have done that to Mr. Spacely in future movies? I doubt it. Here's, But here's the thing. Like, Simpsons has a level of irreverence. Like, and I think there are a lot of parallels you could probably make between the Simpsons and the Jetsons, at least in terms of the boss-employee relationship between Mr. Spacely and George and Mr. Burns and Homer. Like, the the two guys on the bottom, white shirt, blue pants, they have a job that pretty much just requires them push a button and they don't even do that particularly well. Meanwhile, they have a boss that's pretty overbearing. Whereas Mr. Spacely knows Jetson by name and constantly calls him out for his uh, incompetence. Uh, Burns can never seem to remember who Homer is, uh, which is again, one of my favorite jokes in this, in the Simpsons Simpson, eh? Um, like I just, and the one where they like bring it full circle where they get the, the chocolates and has the picture of the family underneath. And he literally remembers every other Simpson and then writes them a letter and leaves, puts everybody on it except Homer. I remember that. That was a good episode. Um, but I mean, so, I mean, in terms of like the boss, but Mr. Burns, because again, um, Matt Groening is a, you know, Portland hippie. Um, the, of course the, the mega millionaire is going to be portrayed as the out and out villain constantly. Whereas in the 1960s, it was just this dude's boss. But by the late 80s, early 90s, um, that could potentially take on, again, thanks to the Reagan era and the you know rampant onslaught of unbridled capitalism, uh, that could potentially take on a more villainous role. So again, I'm not terribly surprised by it. I don't necessarily dislike it. And But here's the thing that we see constantly, to kind of bring it back, um, are we supposed to just forget that he did all those horrible things? Why not? We tend to forget horrible things that famous and or rich people do all the time. Touche. Can't argue with that one. I mean, like it's, it, you turn on the news cycle and someone's doing something shitty and, you know, Mel Gibson's getting arrested and throwing out racial epithets and he still gets an Oscar nomination for Heart, Heart, Hacksaw Ridge. So, you know, what are you going to do? Look, man. You're right. I can't really argue with that. Uh, I wish I had a rebuttal. I don't. I mean, but I, you know, I, and again, I, I say all that to think, I, I think they're, and again, if we reset to the status quo, then yeah, we can do pretty much any Jetsons movie from here. And that's exactly where this movie ends is just resetting back to the status quo. So yeah, we can, we can definitely make more Jetsons movies. The problems of course are voice cast dying movie makes like nothing at the box office. This movie does not do very well box office wise. So. You mean the star power of Tiffany did not bring in the audiences, Steven? Brett, I'm sorry to say it did not. I have no international box office numbers for this movie, but I can tell you uh, that theatrically it earned um, 19.5 million at the domestic box office, which is not that great. Adjusted for inflation, we're talking about um, about $42.5 million adjusted for inflation. So again, doesn't even crack 50 by today's standards. Uh, it opens at number four uh, on July 6th, 1990. Uh, in number one, Brett, is a sequel to the greatest action film of all time. 
That sounds like an opinion. Uh, so I don't know the answer. Uh, it's Die Hard 2, colon, Die Harder. Okay. Do you not think that Die Hard is objectively the greatest action movie of all time? Not objectively, no. Brett, how dare Subjectively, you Subjectively, maybe, but not objectively. Are you out of your mind? Uh, there is another objectively, canonically great sequel on this list a little later that we will get to here momentarily. In second place, in its second weekend, down from number one the week before, it's a little Tom Cruise vehicle called Days of Thunder. Uh, what if there were days, Brett? And what if they had thunder? The, the uh, NASCAR film. Mm-hmm. That uh, is definitely a dad movie. Uh, is that a Tony Scott picture? I think that I no one might idea. be a Tony Scott picture. Um, uh, let me look at the cast and crew on Days of Thunder and see who the director... That is directed by one Mr. Tony Scott, called it. Uh, in third place, in its fourth weekend, down from number two the week before, uh, a movie we have covered on this podcast, Brett, one of my favorite movies that we have covered on this podcast, a little film called Dick Tracy. Uh, which didn't has... even give me a chance to guess it. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say Dick Tracy, but you didn't even give me a chance to guess it. I was going to be right for once. Damn it, Steven. Fuck. Um, uh, then, uh, then, Brett, can you guess what movie opened in fourth place this week? Uh, Jetsons the movie? It's Jetsons the movie. Hey. It earns $5 million in its opening weekend, so not a good multiplier, this one. Um, and uh, in fifth place, rounding out the uh, top, or rounding up the top five uh, is a movie that we will probably cover on this podcast someday. Uh, a movie uh, that we almost covered back in April, a little film called total recall. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, rounding out our top 10, we've got uh, in sixth place, another 48 hours, the Walter Hill joint uh, in seventh place, RoboCop two. Uh, in eighth there was place, a second RoboCop. Uh, which apparently is legitimately the, the premise of RoboCop 2, a thing that I had forgotten until it came up in conversation last night among my friends. So apparently the, the premise of RoboCop 2 is how to make a second RoboCop, um, which I find, frankly, kind of hilarious. Uh, in sixth place, a movie starring someone who is uh, fantastic and has never done anything wrong, I say incredibly facetiously, Ghost Dad. Um. Yeah, no, it's pretty gross. Um, Yeah, Uh, well, we're going to move on to a great one, Brett, because number nine is one of my all time favorite movies that happens to be a sequel. I have mentioned my love for this movie on this podcast several times, my love for this franchise on this podcast several times. Well, based on your cheeky little glance above you, I'm going to say it's Gremlins 2. Correct. Gremlins 2 colon the new batch. I was debating pulling down my little gremlin, my little gizmo uh, Lego toy that I keep right here for myself so that I can, you know, be amused throughout the day. And then rounding out the top 10 is uh, Pretty Woman, which in 16 weeks has earned one hundred and fifty three point seven million dollars. Pretty Woman, uh, a movie I've never seen because it does not seem like it would hold up. No, but man, what a, what a time to be alive. Back when rom-coms were a thing. Mm-hmm. Back when you could just go to a movie theater and see one or more. 
like maybe movies of different genres even absurd what are we thinking insanity now i think we only have like three genres of movies now so it's, so uh, it's that, uh horror superhero and oscar bait oscar bait there you go those are I the three genres period. i was gonna say period piece but like oscar bait and period piece are kind of the same thing yeah i was gonna say six of one and plus not all oscar bait all all period dramas are pretty much oscar bait but not all oscar bait or picture drama or period dramas so oh there we go that's a good sat question there you go <laughs> Um, the tomatometer score on this one, uh, hurts my heart to say it 27% on this one. Um, the critics consensus does not exist for this movie apparently. Uh, so I would read it, but it's not there. Uh, the meta score is a 46 based on mixed or average reviews from 17 critics and the letterboxed score. Uh, my computer did not load it the way that it should have. So give me just a second to find. And the letterbox score is a 2.6. Brett, out of five stars, how do you rank Jetson's Colton the Movie from 1990? Well, here's what happened. I originally rated it a one and a, one, one and a half. 1.5, mm-hmm. I would say it. Uh, but after hearing some of the shit stuff about this movie, uh, I'm going to drop it to a one. Ooh, baby. It's, it's not food fight levels of bad. I mean, what is? Uh, right. Uh, but it's not far off. Wow. I'm not willing to do... In fact, I kind of like this movie. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's 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 got something to say. The animation is, like, leaps... And I didn't even talk about the animation. Like, the animation is leaps and bounds better than anything you would expect to see on the Jetsons cartoon TV show. Like, they actually, like, put some production value into this movie. Um, like, I think the animation's great. The use, The early use of CGI works really seamlessly i thought with the animation the voice cast is killing it with the possible exception of tiffany um another thing all of judy's like slang non sequiturs after like the first one i was just like this she's just she's just talking crazy talk this is like they just gave her half of her dialogue is gibberish yeah it's it's a real stop trying to make outer galactic happen <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen ever um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, like cosmic city or something at one point. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, what are these? Um, and then at the end, she's like outer galactic est. So like, we're, we're making it the most outer galactic, which seems like that would be the correct way to say that in terms of the English language, but it's real strong merchandising mm-hmm. pandering energy. Like, yeah, I mean, I can totally see like a Judy Jetson style Barbie doll with like a little pull string. And if you pull the pull string on the back, it says five cool phrases from Jetson's the movie, uh, including Outer Galactic. And what time does it open? And Cosmic Cosmo Screech. And I love boys. <laughs> Do you want to brush my hair? Um, all that shit. Like it uh, would not surprise me in the least. Um, uh, but so all that to say, yes, I recognize this movie has problems, but at the end of the day, in terms of like animation of the early nineties, like late eighties, early nineties, um, it's pretty good. Like this is a year, like this is months after uh, the Disney releases, the little mermaid. So Disney is like just kicking off the Disney Renaissance here. So like, we're still in like very early days. Don Bluth is still kind of like just finishing out running the table. So in terms of animation and stuff like this is, this is pretty solid. So I gave this one a three out of five. Like I actually enjoyed this movie quite a bit. 
Okay, fine. I'll keep it at one and a half. You don't do. You don't have to do anything for me. You don't no, know me. You're right. no, the animation is fine. It's very solidly '90s animation. This looks like, as I've said multiple times this episode, it looks exactly like the other 20 movies I could rattle off right now. Go for it. But that but that I will see. Rocket Doodle is one. You know, Rocket Doodle. <laughs> Fucking Rocket Don Bluth movie. Yeah. It Don Bluth. I mean, it's a lot of Don Bluth movies. Um, I would also say that. Let's see what else. Oliver and Company. Mm-hmm. Um, the last yeah. movie before the Disney Renaissance. Right. Um. Uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Mm, another Don Bluth. Um, I'm surprised I've gotten this far. I usually blank when put under pressure. I was going to say, I put you on the uh, spot. I'm, I'm amazed you've gotten this far too. That's amazing. Yeah, you're like, I, yeah, I, I could rattle brain. off 20. And I'm like, do it. And you're like, uh, and all of a sudden they all 20 leave your head. Yeah, they just leave my brain. That's um, exactly how that normally happens. Which most of them have, to be fair. Uh, sure. But, I mean, you, you can also probably put Tom and Jerry the movie in this category. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean... And that, that one's honestly probably a little closer because that one, like this one, is a movie based on a television show, a television property. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, this is like the early 90s were the time for boomer nostalgia. So we're getting all those like cartoons that boomers grew up on coming out like in, and I mean, this was also the time when we got like all those live action adaptations of like the Beverly Hillbillies and the Mod Squad and like all those TV shows from the 60s that are all future episodes of this podcast that we will one day cover. Um, but like all of those got like big screen live action adaptations of all these old TV shows from the sixties. So. Yeah. Where is that for us? Where's all millennial nostalgia pop culture? There's uh, some out there. It's called the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, but, and, but here's the thing. I mean, everything old is new again. Like everything is recycled IP now. So like, like we loved Batman there was a Batman movie that came out earlier this year. Like it, it, it kind of cycles in different ways. Like it comes and goes in waves, but like the Batman 89 movie, that was boomer nostalgia for the sixties cartoon. Like it, it comes in these kind of cyclical ways. So now the 2022 Batman, the Nolan Batman, that's our nostalgia for the 89 Batman coming into, coming into sharp focus. Yeah. You're, you're right there. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. We're not experiencing nostalgia the same way. They're not going back and, remaking stuff we like they're going back and continuing the stuff we liked Mm -hmm. because um the internet exists now and uh, people our age who like things tend to be really shitty about it on the internet accurate yeah um which is which brings which brings me back to the reason that we did this podcast in the first place um fans are shitty all fandoms are toxic burn them to the ground yeah You, you, you don't be a fan just like stuff just like stuff and and like what you like just don't be a dick about it yeah or two catchphrases yeah um and it's okay to borrow a catchphrase from another podcast it's okay to like a movie it's okay not to like a movie just again make sure you're not a dick about it you know what happens when i see someone on twitter who posts an opinion about a movie that i disagree with you ignore it i keep scrolling yeah and you can too ask me how um you you just literally put it out of your head and realize that Someone disliking a thing you like is not a personal attack on who you are as a person. And look, yeah. if if they're making millions of dollars at the box office every time they put out a new movie, um, then maybe they don't need you to defend them. Maybe those numbers speak for themselves. Uh, yeah. So Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola are totally within their rights to not like Marvel movies. It's OK. And you know what? 
they're entitled to those opinions every much as you're entitled to your shitty opinion. So. Yeah. Which there you go. I mean, and the fact that we're saying that's a shitty opinion is also just our opinion. Correct. You don't got to be mad about it. Maybe you should look internally and ask yourself, why am I taking these opinions mm. so personal? Mm. Why am I tying my identity? My value as a person. To these fictional properties. Correct. That aren't real. Maybe it's time that we, like Michael Jackson before us, take a look at the man in the mirror and ask him to change his ways. Or the woman in the mirror. Or the non-binary individual in the mirror. And maybe ask them to change their ways. That's the person in the mirror. There, there we go. Let's let's talk to the person in the mirror and ask them to change their ways. Because uh, no message, Brett, could be any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make, make the a change. change. Make that change. Make that, make change. that change. Well, anyway, let's do a really hard pivot to Brett's video game corner. Wha-pow! Here we go, Brett. Try not to get whiplash, everybody. Uh, oh, I too late, man. I'm I'm suing. <laughs> hold on, I think I got a neck brace in here somewhere. Oh, good. Uh, I'm gonna need it. Uh, so I mean, so there's the Jetsons have had uh, a number of video games, as you might imagine, because the Flintstones did too. Hanna Barbera, much like Looney Tunes, marketed the fuck out of their characters. In video mm-hmm. games. Oh yeah, really easy to put into a video game setting um so i mean all the way back let's see the first one came out in 1983 hey uh, did i yeah it's it's as old as you and hey. what's hilarious uh go listen i'm gonna plug the damn patreon a fourth time go hey. listen to my our entire brett's video game corner on uh muppets and sesame street video games Oh, fuck. That was a fun one to record. The Oops All Video Games episode. <laughs> the Oops All Video Games episode. Because um, there's a ton. And most of them are educational games. And Correct. wouldn't you know it, the first Jetsons game is called The Jetsons Ways with Words. Aww. It's, a, you know, it's an educational video game that teaches you about spelling and reading. Hey. Uh, next, in 1988... We've got the Jetsons, George Jetson, and the Legend of Robotopia. Mm. Um, it's Sounds basically like... uh, Jetsons Pinball. Oh, okay. That's way more fun than what I was thinking. I was thinking kind of an Indiana Jones adventure style game, but pinball sounds awesome. Uh, no, don't worry. There's plenty of those side-scroller adventure type games coming up. Oh, good. Um, that's pretty much what the rest of them are, I believe. I was going to say, late 80s, I mean, yeah, we're starting to get into the side-scroller as just like the main form of video game at this point. Because, yeah, in 1992, we actually get two games, three games, sorry. Uh, we have The Jetsons, which is just a DOS PC game, um, which is just a platformer, you know, platformer okay. adventure game, as previously mentioned. Um then for Nintendo, we get the Jetsons Cogswell's Caper. This is the one I played. I remember playing this game. Mm. Um, the 1992 or 93, uh, they're listed in different years for some reason. Um, uh, and this, yeah, again, just a platformer. Same old, same old, same old. Same with the Game Boy game that came out in 92 called the Jetsons Robot Panic. So just to, just to clarify, we went from 88 to 92. Yes. 
So there was not a tie-in for this movie. No. Which is, not going to lie, a little shocking to me. Right. Because this was like the time for the movie tie-in video game, right? Um, that was more of a mid-90s thing. This might have this might have been a little bit too early for that. I mean, you had Roger Rabbit, you had Dick Tracy. Those are like eighty-eight and ninety, respectively. Yeah, but they it wasn't a huge thing. Like in the mid nineties, you would get a movie tie-in game for stuff that didn't need a movie tie-in game. Like they were just like, you know, because you had one for Last Action Hero. There was one for True Lies, Stephen. I mean, fuck yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, Brett, fuck yeah. I, Come on, did that need a movie tie-in? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. And I mean, what kids are going out to see True Lies? That movie was a rated R. Right. But, you know, that's what they were doing. Um, you know, the, the Rocketeer got a game. I talked about that on our episode mm-hmm. of The Rocketeer. I just, you know, I mean, Adam's Family had multiple games. Mm-hmm. Um, only one of which I think was based on the movies. Interesting. Yeah, just, uh, you know. I mean, the, the Adams family has gotten a lot of games over the years. Um, they're all pretty fun. Man, I love the Adams family. As do I. Uh, but uh, so anyway, uh, nineteen ninety three. Mm-hmm. Uh, they appear in the Hanna Barbera cartoon carnival game, mm. uh, which doesn't have any info about uh, nothing. It's one of those situations. This happened a few times on the Muppet Sesame Street episode. There's. They have the name of the game, but no information about it. None whatsoever. No. Um, but I mean, it seems like a collaboration game. Looks like it probably had some mini games. It looks like very much like it has Fred Flintstone in a midway. So it's okay. probably just a bunch of Hanna-Barbera characters in various mini games. And various mini games. Yeah, that sounds 100% accurate. Yeah. Because those uh, games were very popular at, at that time, too. Pretty sure there's one with like Disney characters and another one with Looney Tune characters. I think there might have even been one with Muppet characters that we talked about on that episode. I believe there was, yeah. I think there was multiple of those. Yeah. Um next we've got the Jetsons invasion of the planet planet pirates. Mm, that sounds fun. We're, we're getting into the Super Nintendo era. Yeah, which is again another platformer. Mm-hmm. Joey Jetson just, you know, platforming around, collecting things, killing pirates. And probably, probably rescuing the various members of the family. Probably. And probably jumping on their head to defeat them. We can only hope. Uh, and then finally, we have the crossover game. Flintstones Jetsons Time Warp. Let's do it again, Brett. Yes. Uh, this was released in Japan as Yokai Buster Ruka no Daibaukan. Uh, which indicates to me... Uh, that this might not have originally been a Flintstones Jetsons game. They may have just like uh, just reskinned it with Flintstones and Jetsons. Uh, yeah, because kind think of like Donkey a, Kong was a reskin of the Popeye game. Uh, I don't think that's true. They were just similar. It wasn't a reskin. Uh, it wasn't okay. I I was under the impression yeah. that it was, but you're the expert here, not me. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I'll look that up in a minute uh, just to be sure. Um, I'm looking yeah, it up. So this one was. Released for the CDI, uh, which is a notorious console, probably most notoriously known uh, for its uh, bootleg Zelda games. <laughs> nice. Which are hilarious. Um, but that's it. That's all the that's all the uh, Jensen's games. Uh, we haven't had one since 
1994. Wow. I mean, and let's be honest, the Hanna-Barbera characters have fallen out of popular favor recently. Um, True. So uh, that's not terribly surprising. And again, the the popularity, because I mean, when we were kids and I've, we, I think we've mentioned this before we kind of lived in this golden age of entertainment in that we had access to all the stuff that our parents watched when they were kids and their parents, even to some degree, like Looney Tunes ran in syndication on almost every channel. Like every station just had like a backlog of Looney Tunes episodes and they would just, if they needed to fill space, they would just put them on. Um, so there were Looney Tunes constantly. Hanna-Barbera cartoons filled a similar niche in, in certain areas. Um, and then once Ted Turner bought all the Hanna-Barbera characters, he decided to just put them on their own network, which is why we have Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network literally was just a dumping ground for old Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And then once they, they got too overwhelmed with their own programming, uh, they moved all the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons to another network called Boomerang, where you could watch all the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons there. And then eventually Boomerang got overrun by old Cartoon Network shows. Um, and so now I think now that Warner brothers has purchased them, I'm pretty sure they're all on HBO max, or at least a lot of them are, you can double check and see, but I'm sure many of those are this movie, however, was distributed by universal. So it is not on HBO max right now. Had to rent this one off of the Amazon. Yeah, they tried to, I do appreciate how they tried to, uh, Cartoon Network tried to keep Hanna-Barbera alive, Mm -hmm. um, by, uh, making all of the characters weird. Um, the Harvey Birdman, Attorney of Law. Space fucking love Harvey Birdman. It's Ghost Coast to Coast. Another great one. Uh, just all of that stuff. Like basically I mean, all, all of the uh, what kicked off the adult animation craze mm-hmm. was adult Adult Swim and what Cartoon Network did with all the Hanna Barbera characters. And that was kind of like one of those things, like we want original programming. We've got these characters. Is there like an easy way to recycle kind of the way that they used to do recycle some of this animation and make it into its own show. And that was pretty much what space Ghost started as was just reusing a bunch of old animation from the space Ghost cartoon. And then you've got Harvey Birdman, which takes all those characters and does like just wacky far out shit with them. Like, um, uh, Boo Boo is the Godfather. Like Boo Boo is a gangster. Um, Shaggy and Scooby get arrested on a marijuana possession charge. Um, like there's a there's a uh, an episode about a uh, a band from uh, Japan, which is I think another like one of those teens and a mascot kind of things that they did a lot. And the fact that they're and they sue. I think Jabberjaw's band because they stole their song. Like that's another premise for an episode. Like they, they went hard at some of the, like Peter Potamus is like a fucking gigantic pervert. Like Harvey Birdman went hard on some of those. And I love it so much. You get that thing I sent you. You you get that thing I sent you a thing that you and I have said to one another so many times. (laughs) Uh, In fact, I think there was one time I literally just, texted you a picture of Peter Potamus at one point and you just responded with <laughs> yes or hold on let me check I knew I knew it was an <laughs> you, you absolutely knew um, there's also I gotta recommend if you haven't seen it go uh, look up on YouTube um, 
the bumpers that Adult Swim did uh, with the Mystery Incorporated gang in the Blair Witch Projects. Oh, fuck. That sounds amazing. It's I love so the old good. Super Friends bumpers, like the the ones with the Legion of Doom, where they're all quibbling over what they want. And Brainiac goes, really, Lex, I just want a nice pair of pants. Solomon Grundy want pants, too. That I will still just randomly and apropos of nothing, just say Solomon Grundy want pants, too. And people look at me like I am insane. As is their right, quite frankly, because that's the most obscure reference that I pull out, for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> even I don't. Even I didn't really get it. But I mean, now, Brainiac, now I will. Brainiac's character, uh, in as he was drawn in Super Friends, basically just had on like short shorts, like short shorts, like speedos, pretty much, and then like a long sleeve t shirt with, with like a plunging V neck. Uh, so he, really all he wants is a nice pair of pants and Solomon Grundy want pants too. Cause that the whole joke on that, that commercial was that Solomon Grundy would just like want whatever anyone else wanted. Like, yeah, Solomon Grundy want that. So when brain X says, I want pants. Well, Solomon Grundy want pants too. I love it. It's great. Uh, well, <laughs> meanwhile, let's end this episode. Hell Yeah. Um, so that is our episode on Jetson's colon, the movie from 1990. Happy birthday, George Jetson. Uh, you're, you're a few days old. You're like four or five days old, or you will be born in another 18 days or something. I, uh, math is hard. I don't know it. Um, as of the release of this episode. Uh, so happy birthday. Uh, we're big fans and we appreciate you. And, uh, we're grateful that one day you will save all the grungies on the, um, Spacely's orbiting orb asteroid. Uh, we're we're very excited about that. So thank you, George, for saving the world in the future. One of one of which sounds a lot like a ghost I'm really into. A ghost. Um, love that. Um, so yeah, that is our episode. Um, you can like let us know how we're doing. Disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh also, uh, what did I ask them to send us earlier? Remind us what we said to send you uh, on social media, everybody. Um, yeah, shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, or Facebook at disenfranchpod. Uh, you can also give us a nice, juicy five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We have had some negative seeds sown in our direction by the haters. The haters, what, what, the haters, um, and so if you would, uh, if you've not done so yet and you've been meaning to, uh, walk, do not walk, run to your computer and, uh, leave us a nice juicy five-star rating and review there on Apple podcasts. So we can get those numbers back up. Uh, we're a small ind independent podcast. Like we do all of this ourselves. And so, um, we're trying our damnedest here people. So we really appreciate your, your support. Uh, most of you have been incredibly supportive of us so far. So for that, we are very grateful and we ask that you continue to spread the love, continue to tell people about us. Um, if, if this is a show that you like, talk to other people who have similar sensibilities, they might like it too. Who knows? Um, but we do appreciate that from all of you guys. Um, also, uh, fifth time's the charm patreon.com slash disenfranchpod we've talked about all the things you can find there as well um i am your host stephen foxworthy you can find me on twitter instagram and letterboxd at chewy walrus my co-host is brett Wright. brett where can we find you on the social medias uh, you can find me on uh instagram and letterboxd at sus underscore wallach all right that is it for episode 99 brett next episode 
is a milestone episode. It is our 100th episode. Uh, I am excited to talk about this movie. I know you're excited to talk about this movie. Um, cannot wait. Check out our, our Twitter and our Instagram feeds. Uh, see if you can guess what uh, next week's movie is. Uh, unless, Or you can join the Patreon at the $1 level and we'll just tell you. Uh, so until next time, when we unveil our 100th episode, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. For my co-host, Brett Wright, and myself, Uba Duba, I love the Jetsons. <laughs>